0: Welcome back. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen meeting with Chinese officials in Beijing this weekend, giving the, benefit, to the, da- of the ba- uh, benefit of the doubt rather, to the CCP that they want a sincere diplomatic and economic relationship with the United States. This despite growing evidence to the contrary, as uh, China has been ramping up global aggression toward the United States under the Biden administration, from surveillance balloons and Chinese police stations in America to bullying U.S. ships in international waters and planes in the air. Joining me right now is former House Speaker and Fox News contributor Newt Gingrich and the Gatestone Institute senior fellow Gordon Chang, both accomplished authors as well. Here, their latest books, March to the Majority and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gentlemen, great to see you both. Uh, So happy to have you. Newt, let me get your take on the field. Who has what it takes uh, in 2024 to deal with communist China? And what do you think this meeting with Janet Yellen tells us?
1: Look, I mean, the Biden administration is either corrupt or lives in a fantasy land. In either case, it's dangerous to the United States. Uh, If Yellen actually believes what she's saying, she's in a total fantasy land. Uh, And when I watch, for example, the Secretary of State, who'd been paid, I think, over a million dollars a year by the University of Pennsylvania with money, which I think came directly from Communist China, Uh, I'm not particularly reassured. So I think whether it's on a fantasy front or a corruption front, the Biden administration is enormously dangerous to the survival of America and an enormous asset in the creation of a Chinese communist uh, dominant system. I I think it's enormously difficult.
0: This is just stunning. What you're saying is stunning. Gordon, how do you see it?
2: Well, on the same day that Janet Yellen arrives in Beijing, you have Xi Jinping giving a, one of his let's go to war speeches to the Eastern Theater Command of the People's Liberation Army, the command that will actually launch the invasion of Taiwan. And on that same day, which was Thursday, you have China trying to seize Reed Bank from the Philippines in the South China Sea. In other words, trying to pick a fight. So as the speaker says, this is going in the wrong direction. We sent Antony Blinken to China. The Chinese humiliate him. We then send Janet Yellen. She humiliates herself. This is really, really bad stuff. Fantasy land, as the speaker said.
0: Well, and and they've ramped up on Joe Biden's watch, Newt. I mean, and it's incredible to me oh. that these are some of the most serious allegations leveled against a president. All of this influence peddling, and the mainstream media will not discuss it. Although you had a mention of his granddaughter by Maureen Dowd, right?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I think you're beginning to see a break. In the system uh, because it's becoming so sickening it's so obvious frankly the research by the house republicans is so compelling that i think the whole thing is going to break down and and i think even for a lot of liberals watching a president of the united states turn their granddaughter into a non-person literally canceling her in a way that is, I think, horrifying and lets you know how cold and ruthless and calculating the Bidens are and also tells you how much you can count on them to be honest about Hunter or about money or you name it. Uh, this is a this is the most corrupt administration in American history, surrounded by people who live in a fantasy land in terms of how the world works. And the combination I think, is an enormous danger to the very safety and survival of the United States.
0: Well, there's also another worry about what Xi Jinping is doing now. I mean, the fact that Chinese nationals apprehensions at the southern border up 1,300 percent, Gordon. I want to take a break and then come back and talk about this because I don't know if Xi Jinping is uh, directing these people to come to America to become saboteurs. We'll see. We've got a lot more with House Speaker Newt Gingrich, a former Speaker of the House, and the Gatestone Institute's Gordon Chang. Back in a moment. Welcome back. We are back with former House Speaker Newt Gingrich and Gatestone Institute's senior fellow Gordon Chang. Gordon, I mentioned the number of apprehensions at the southern border of Chinese nationals over the last year it is up 1300%. Do you think these people are running from the Communist Party or are they being directed to come and stay in America until further
2: word? Both. First of all, we're seeing desperate middle-class Chinese. These are generally not poor people because they can afford to pay $35,000 a head to the Mexican cartels to bring them in. But among them are packs of males of between five and 15 who are of military age not coming with family groups, pretending not to speak English and engaging in Chinese military rituals like drinking blood. A border section uh, patrol chief said that some of them are known to have Chinese military affiliations. So clearly these are saboteurs coming into America to wage war on the United States on the first day that there is war in Asia.
0: That is just drinking blood? Is that what you just said?
2: Yes. um, One of the Chinese military rituals is to slaughter an animal, in this case, chickens. Michael Yan, a war correspondent, has seen this, and they basically, they drink the blood. Um, And this was done in a hotel in Panama after they crossed the Darien Gap from Colombia. So we know that these are Chinese military coming into our country.
0: Unbelievable. Newt, who in the 2024 field can take on communist China?
1: Trump. I mean, look, Trump's already provening take on China. Uh, you know, Xi Jinping was very, I think, intimidated by Trump, uh, just, just frankly, as was Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Uh, and I think Putin was in, in Russia. Trump understands real power, and he used it. Now, I think there are a lot of other good candidates, uh, and I think that uh, DeSantis certainly has the potential to grow into that. Uh, I think, as you know, I'm a big fan of Tim Scott. I think he has great potential. Uh, And I think in in some ways uh, that that you have Vivek Ramaswamy is the most interesting new candidate in the field. Uh, But I think that uh, on the track record, if you compare how Trump muscled our opponents with how Biden consistently is pathetic, uh, and as I said, it's either corruption or he's just out of touch with reality, you don't know which it is.
0: Yeah, I remember when uh, Trump hosted Xi Jinping at Mar-a-Lago and dropped the news that we just sent strikes to Syria. That surprised him. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich and Gatestone Institute's Gordon Chang, join us next week for our special interview. We will be speaking with former President Donald Trump right here next Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Have a great Sunday, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow on Fox Business.
3: Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News' YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. Well, some states, California is one of them, have uh, what they call lemon laws, where if you buy a car after a period of a few days, you've got a little window there. And if you don't like it, if it's not turning out the way you like it, then you get to take it back and they don't charge you. Uh, It turns out that the US Navy has got some lemons on its hands. Uh, We're not going to get a refund but uh, corrective action is probably better than no action at all. Hi everybody I'm Bill Little here with Steve Green and Scott Ott and gentlemen this episode is about the fact that we have built uh, a significant number of uh, LCS's that stands for Littoral Combat Ship. Littoral means areas close to the shore. Uh, The people that serve aboard them call them little crappy ships Um, and uh, we built, if I if I did the n- numbers correctly, there are two different classes. I think we built 19 independence class uh, uh, trimarans, and I think we built 16 freedom class, which looked like just really fast and cool PT boats. The idea, when these things were constructed, uh, the, the um, independence was uh, was uh, commissioned in 2010 and the uh, freedom was commissioned in 2008. The idea was, at the time, coming off of 9-11, that we would be using an awful lot more of our our navy to do basically anti-terrorist things insertions patrols all the rest of it and as time has gone on we find out that that threat from islamic terrorists has largely subsided and we're facing a much more aggressive chinese navy so we don't need brown water littoral ships we need blue water ships and so having built any number of these things and spent a fair amount of money uh, we are decommissioning ships that were commissioned 13 years ago i mean that's just unheard of it's unheard of um, so Scott, let's let me start with you here. Um, I, I I've always maintained this attitude. I, I really try to be fair. I don't blame people for making mistakes. I don't think people make mistakes on purpose. Genuine mistakes certainly they don't make on purpose. So I'm not faulting the Navy for having built these ships. And and in fact, on the contrary. It is entirely possible with the sunk cost fallacy. For those of you not familiar with it, it's the idea that if I've spent a lot of money on something, I've got to keep spending it since I've already got invested. It just means you lose more money. The Navy has decided that these ships, in their own words, are indefensible. They they, they cannot defend themselves in any kind of a combat situation. They were essentially a mistake, and we're going to retire them and replace them with a new class of frigates that I'll get to in a minute. I think it's healthy despite the fact that we took a while to figure this out, that the Navy is deciding to decommission essentially brand new ships simply because they are not living up to the operational standards that they were sold as. But I think largely because the Navy has realized that this was just a, a, the, the wrong path to go down.
4: Yeah. And actually, uh, It sounds like a salutary thing to me. I mean, it's that sunk cost fallacy has cost so many people so much money over so much time and so much heartache, frankly, in our own lives where we cling to things that long ago lost their relevance. And we just like, well, you know, I've got that law degree. So even though I hate being an attorney, I've got to stay this way. And so I'm actually glad to hear that they're doing that. Now, if this were an active maritime war situation, I think you'd see much more of an inclination to repurpose those ships for something, whatever that they were capable of doing. Um, Paint them white, well, they're them not to the capable Coast Guard. of doing much, unfortunately.
3: Yeah. That's why they're well, being decommissioned. Well, and you would
4: just – I mean, we were invading Normandy in plywood boats. So it's like we would find a way <laughs> to use – to use these ships. However, because we're not, and because they are pure expense right now, um, I think decommissioning them is the wise way to go. Um, You know, I don't know if they can scrap them and find something salvageable for use elsewhere, but I'm not enough of a, you know, I, I don't have the expertise to say whether or not this is a good decision. However, I think in general, most organizations fail to make these kind of decisions, and therefore spend another Three, four, five decades nursing along a yep. program that was never viable in the first place,
3: and building more of them. And and by the way, there's a there's a fair amount of discussion uh, that that says that this decision was made, or at least the, the shortcomings of the little crappy ships was known for quite a while. But they continued um, uh, to at least keep the the shipbuilding uh, facilities open. There are two of them, and they're keeping they kept buying these things essentially so that they wouldn't close down these shipbuilding facilities of which we do not have many because there is a replacement coming out. And now Steve, you and I get to geek out on our little Navy thing. So the,
5: uh, I know the replacement. It's a good ship.
3: It's a good ship too. Yes. Yeah. So, so the littoral combat ships have been deemed combat ineffective in a, in a modern Navy. Uh, and we really are facing a manpower shortage rather than a hull shortage. That's really the Navy's issue. So why have, uh, people, why have sailors at sea crewing vessels that are really not going to help us strategically in terms of controls of the sea lanes? So basically, the United States has been depending for 20 years now or more on uh, Arleigh Burke-class destroyers, which in my opinion are the best destroyers ever constructed by any country in the history of the world. They're astonishing platforms. The Navy used to have a smaller class of ship called a frigate, technically the littoral combat ships were even smaller than this they would probably be called a corvette in other uh in other navies but frigates were smaller and they're less expensive than destroyers they're not as capable as destroyers but they do have the advantage of numbers and the replacement for the littoral combat ships is a brand new frigate class we haven't had frigates in the navy for quite a while now since the um Oliver Hazard Perry frigates i think
5: they were retired so in the, in new the 90s, class of frigates, i think
3: yeah New class of frigates is the Constellation Frigate, and it has 32 vertical launch tubes, uh, not quite as many as an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer, but then again, the ship is less expensive. You can buy more of them. You can put more of them out to sea, and by all accounts, this is an extraordinarily potent, smaller, capable, lethal platform, and seems to be exactly the direction that this Navy should be heading, especially given the number of hulls that the Chinese Navy's building.
5: Yeah, and uh, it's, a, it's a European design, I believe originally Italian, that uh, uh, for the Constellation class has been, uh, it's been given some modifications that better suit yep. the, the U.S. Navy than the European navies that have been buying, because I, I think the, Itali- the Italians have bought them, the Germans have bought them, the, the, the Brit, no, the, not the Brits, I don't think they've got them. Uh, they've got their new Type 31 frigates, which are supposed to be, I think they're going to be uh up there with the with the early burks um but bill i gotta t- i gotta take issue i do blame the navy and i do blame congress for for getting us into this mess in a in a couple of ways uh the big problem was right there in the name the lcs and i don't mean the the cute nickname the little crappy ship i mean littoral combat ship that's damn it that's not the navy's job and they know it uh we are a maritime power we're a trading power we are a blue water navy power <laughs> And the Navy decided to get hip with the new anti-terror thing and take on a mission that was not theirs and yeah, that, that's
3: absolutely fair
5: and a story. I, I, I blame the leadership completely for getting us into this mess. And on Congress's side, the reason why we had to one of the reasons we had to go with a, a European design is there is no slack left in our ship building in our ship. Uh, refitting in anything uh, we have so little uh, dry dock space for our nuclear aircraft carriers that if one of them needs emergency work then it upsets the whole schedule for years and years and Decades. years down yeah. the line there is there is no slack left anywhere um l- losing the uh the uh, uh our amphib the uh, the uh, uh bonham richard
3: Rashard, Rashard, thank
5: you. A couple of years ago. Uh, we don't have the shipbuilding capacity to make good on that loss. What the
3: hell? And USS Connecticut, one of three Seawolf class subs, probably the best subs, oh, certainly the best subs in the history yeah. of the world, attack subs, yeah. had a collision and it's out of action for years now. Yeah,
5: because there's there's no slack. What the hell are we going to do in a war when we actually start to lose things and have to replace them at a rate faster than, than peacetime? And that is on a that that is on the fault of Congress, which didn't want to spend the money to maintain these vital facilities, and not just the facilities, but the uh, the institutional knowledge and the uh, the labor skill set that it takes to build a modern warship. Uh, it's been it's been twenty years at least twenty years of uh, a Congress and uh, Navy leadership, I'm not talking about the, the men and women who actually serve and do the work, uh, Congress and the Navy leadership that have not taken their job seriously. And as a maritime trading power, we have always relied on the Navy to be our first line of defense. Our Navy will always be our first line of defense. And right now, we don't have the Navy we need, and we don't have the ability at current rates to develop the Navy we need.
3: Well said. Um, it's been my enormous privilege, one of the great honors of my life to have been, uh, invited to, uh, spend a day on both the, uh, Los Angeles class 688 attack sub. I was on USS Pasadena for about seven hours. I've been 600 feet below the surface of the Pacific at 20 knots and that, that boat's not even breaking a sweat. It's just, it's just walking around at that speed. I've also been on an Arleigh Burke class destroyer. I was on USS Spruance, uh, which I want to say is, uh, DDG one one one, and Arleigh Burke was the chief of naval labor, uh, of opera, chief of naval operations during the early years of the Cold War. He's the only person I think to do it have three consecutive terms. He was an extremely forward thinking guy, and the Arleigh Burke class destroyers are just the, they they're just the best combat vessels in the world. I think. Um, so what we've got here with the constellation is a is a capable little brother of the Arleigh burks the good news is they're not as expensive that means we can build more of them we can deploy more of them there's no substitute for number of hulls when you've got an entire planet to patrol and that's what we do with the u.s navy because as steve points out we are not just a maritime trading power we are the world's dominant sea power we keep the sea lanes open for everybody and for people who don't like that well then too bad for you. That's what we do, and, and that's why we are able to be the manufacturing giant that we are and have the influence that we have. So the first thing really about the Constellation-class frigates, they're they're well-armed and everything, but the much more important point, certainly, most important point to me is, how do they look? And I think they actually look pretty cool. <laughs>
5: they do. Um, I,
3: I would have raked the front a little bit. That flat front thing is a little bit like the Oliver Hav- Hazard Perrys, but these, but these Constellation-class frigates look like they mean business. And... When I was aboard USS Spruance, another of the many honors that I've been so fortunate to receive in my life was to sail around um, uh, uh, San, Diego, Harvard, San Diego Naval Station with a three-star admiral in his launch. And going past the lines of the of the ships there, and having the entire crew have to come to the to the to the side of the ship, standing attention, as our tiny little launch went by, was was a pretty cool feeling. But I got a chance to actually do some genuine dur- journalism on that trip, and I asked this admiral, who was in command of, of 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 U.S. surface vessels for the Pacific, anything that the Navy owned that floated above the surface in the Pacific, was his. He owned it. And I said, Admiral, what do we need right now? And he said exactly what you said, Steve. He said, right now we need maintenance facilities. We need the ability to turn our ships around. We have a significant percentage of our navy that is in 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 port for maintenance. We cannot get them serviced fast enough. And I and I said to him at the time, during the Obama administration, I said, Well, Admiral, what's what's holding that up? He said, "Well, since the Congress has not passed an actual budget, you may recall during the Obama administration, I think we went four or five years without passing an actual budget, just had you know continuing resolutions." The admiral said, "If I have a if I have a warship that needs repairs, legislation said that the Navy can't do their own repairs anymore; they have to outsource that to private contractors." Okay, he said. Now I I go to a to a shipbuilder and I say I need this work done on a on a vehicle on a, on one of our uh, warships. And that person will sensibly enough say, okay, I'm gonna have to hire this many people. I need a guarantee for this much money. This is what it's gonna cost to do. Can you sign a contract? And the Admiral said, no, I can't sign a contract because I don't know that the money is gonna be there because Congress can't pass a budget. So we've got a, a quarter of our Navy or a third of our Navy sitting in port waiting for repairs because Congress couldn't have passed a budget. So this is good news. One of the things they're talking about doing with these frigates is it comes down to not just how many hulls you have. It doesn't matter how many ships you have. What matters is how many ships do you have at sea at any given time. You can have a 600-ship Navy, and if 550 of them are sitting in port waiting for repairs, you've got a 50-ship Navy they're talking about doing rotating crews on these frigates that have a blue a blue crew and a gold crew they do with this this with submarines so when the ship comes back after a deployment say it's deployed for six to eight months or something it normally would come back to port it would have the same crew the crew would get some leave and turnaround time would be about 18 months before it was ready to sail again for another six month deployment the navies think about going to a blue and gold system where the blue crew takes the takes the, the ship out brings it back then the gold crew comes in starts working on new stuff the blue crew helps get the thing refurbished and then the gold crew goes out and the turnaround time is four months instead of 18. that's a force multiplier so all of these solutions are out there but the thing that is most alarming to me personally is not the quality of the ships. I'm certainly glad we're replacing the LCS with the Constellation-class frigates. I'm concerned about the manpower. I'm concerned about the crews. I'm concerned about whether we have enough people and I'm very concerned about how qualified the people that we do have are. The, the vast majority of the Navy is extraordinarily competent and extraordinarily capable, but already all of the armed services are complaining about not being able to meet their numbers, number one, and number two, the people who they're getting are 150 pounds overweight, and, 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 and many of them can't read, you know, I mean, it's dangerous. So while I'm very happy to see the Constellation class replacing the littoral combat ships, I would be much happier to know that we were getting the best of the best to go out there in harm's way and uh, and protect this, this country at sea, which as Scott and Steve both pointed out, is our first line of defense, and I think probably the greatest tradition in the United States uh, military. There's never been anything like the U.S. Navy, and I'd like to keep it that way. For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Red A.